Hey, Sunny and Seattle friends, just popping in to wish you the happiest of holidays and let you know that Sunny in Seattle is taking a break until the end of the year. On December 24th and December 31st, catch a rebroadcast of a show you might have missed earlier this year. Then we'll be live on air again on Friday, January 7th. Much love and see you in the new year. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes guest author Kathy Bird, and they'll be chatting about her book, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, which chronicles the incredible true story of her son and his past life memories as a baseball player from the 1920s and 30s. Well, then take me out to the ball game. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Um, so we're going to go ahead and jump straight into our interview today. I'm so excited to speak with Kathy Bird. Um, you may have heard of her before because of her book, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, who will we'll be discussing that here today. Um, but I'll just read her bio real quickly before bringing her on and getting to talk about this wonderful story that she has to share. So Kathy Bird is a residential real estate broker and mother of two children who never had aspirations of becoming a writer until her two-year-old son began sharing memories of being a baseball player player in the 1920s and 30s. A Southern California native, Kathy received her BA from UCLA and her MBA from Pepperdine University. Prior to becoming a realtor, Kathy had an exciting 10-year career in sports marketing, working for the World Cup and Olympic Torch Relay Organizing Committees and serving as vice president of the Magic Johnson Foundation. The most likely place to find Kathy in her free time is at a youth baseball field. You can find out more about her and the story and the book that we're going to talk about today uh, by visiting her website, which is kathy-bird.com. That's kathy-bird.com and bird is spelled B-Y-R-D. Uh, Kathy, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you, Sunny. So excited to speak with you. And I have to say, I'm a little bit late to the party on this because I think um, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, the book we're going to be discussing, that came out in about 2017. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So I really appreciate you um, continuing to share this story. Um, I I actually remember hearing about you, um, I believe, through some of Jim Tucker's work. Um, it was a story that came up and one of the more well-known stories of his research. And I know we're going to talk about Dr. Jim Tucker here today. Um, but why don't we set the stage by um, sharing a little bit about your background in terms of, you know, you're, you were um, a mom of a young girl, um, you didn't have aspirations of becoming a writer, you weren't really even a baseball fan, and then you had a beautiful baby boy, Christian. Um, what happened from there that just completely changed your life? Right. So um, I actually have two kids. I have a daughter who's three years older than Christian. Um, and her childhood was pretty traditional. She watched TV. She played with toys. She, you know, was living that normal three-year-old life when Christian came along. Um, and he was just a really unique kid from the very beginning. He had, like, no interest in television, no interest in toys. Um, around the age of one, 
and a half, I would say, he saw some neighborhood kids playing baseball and just became completely obsessed with baseball. And it was to the point where he would wear a uniform every day. He would only play baseball. And it was really obsessive. It was almost like, you know, six hours a day in the beginning. And it actually got to be even more as he got older. Um, and it was just, you know, it was kind of a strange, fun obsession. And um, when he was little, he was like two years old. And I put a video on YouTube um, of him. It was like the first video I ever put on YouTube of him playing baseball. And Adam Sandler's production company happened to see it. Um, and we ended up getting to go to Boston to film a movie um, right before Christian's third birthday, which ironically was right when all of this other kind of surreal stuff started coming out of his mouth about being a baseball player in another lifetime. Yeah. And so the the Adam Sandler thing, you know, you had a little baseball phenom on your hands. And I think the way that you put it was if life was a Rorschach test, Christian was seeing baseball. And so he gets to be in this movie. That's my boy. He had just an unnatural. Well, I shouldn't say that he had a just a level of talent that was unheard of for a child that age. So that alone is something pretty special. But you said then some surreal started things started happening. And so tell us about what, what he started saying to you um, and your ears really started to perk up and things really changed. Yeah. So right before we went to Boston um, was when he started, you know, trying to, he was telling me I used to be a tall baseball player and I thought it was just grammatical and I would correct him like, Oh yes, you will be a tall baseball player. Um, and then he got so frustrated. He, he like stomped his foot one day and said, no, I was tall like daddy. Um, and even when a kid tells you something like that, like you just, you hear it, but you kind of ignore it. And, and so like he was giving me clues along the way, but when we went to Boston, um, we had the opportunity to go watch the Yankees play the Red Sox at Fenway Park, which is like one of the oldest ballparks in the country. It was like 100 years old at the time. Um, and that's kind of, I think, being in that setting is kind of what opened the floodgates for him. So it was really ironic that that trip just popped up out of the blue. Um, because when we came back from there was when he really started talking in detail about how he used to be a tall baseball player, um, how he used to you know, ride on trains and, and stay in hotels almost every night. Like, and these are things that even like an eight-year-old wouldn't know that a baseball player stays in hotels. So, um, and it was mostly, um, before bed at night when he would talk about it and it wasn't like make-believe. It was, it's really interesting when these kids, what I later learned is that it's kind of a common phenomenon for kids that do have this experience. It, It takes place from about, two until about eight, seven, maybe six. Um, and and it's, it's very common and there are some really consistent things with all of these kids, the way they express themselves about, you know, prior memories from another lifetime. And when did it become for you serious? Like he started saying things and at first you think it's a grammatical error, just a kid being silly, but then you start picking up. That's one of the things that you really go into wonderful, great detail in the book about is are some of these things that a child just would not know. And you have enough of these starting to add up. At what point did you go, okay, this reincarnation thing may really be happening and I need to look into this further. Right. Okay. That's a really good question. So in the very beginning, I had a lot of guilt around, you know, because my mind was leading me down that path, right? Like maybe this was a reincarnation, you know, like maybe he's been here before. Um, But my heart, like being a Christian and raised a Christian, I had like a little bit of guilt around the idea of reincarnation. 
Um, so I, the first thing I did actually, I hadn't, I'd made notes. Like when Christian would tell me things, I would make notes. So I sent a pretty elaborate email to my pastor, you know, to say like, what could this be? You know? And as I waited for the response, I was nervous. And then the response came and it was, it was something that I was not anticipating, which was, you know, perhaps it's an unwelcome spirit kind of thing, you know? And I, that mm-hmm. kind of scared me. I thought, oh no, <laughs> you know, because that was like my yeah. first my first expert giving input. So that's when I really started going, okay, maybe there's more to this. Maybe it's not some evil thing or some dark thing. Um, And that's when I found Carol Bowman, who wrote a book called Children's Past Life Memories. And I sent the same email to her and she really worked with me to, you know, how to talk to Christian. She kind of normalized the whole situation for me, which helped a lot. And why don't we just take that a little bit deeper here? Because this is one of the things now having, um, I, I was raised Christian myself. And so reincarnation was not in my wheelhouse. And I think just as you did your own research and learned that reincarnation wasn't a concept foreign to Christianity, it was just removed from the traditional canon back around the fourth century, I think, because the early church found it a very threatening idea. I, you said yeah. it so beautifully in the book, you know, that, that, um, this is, I think, historically, if you look at biblical history, theological history here, that um, right. in the early church, how would you actually control people and create loyalty um, if you still had this idea of reincarnation sitting out there? So anyway, I think you and I kind of right. went down a similar rabbit hole. Right. Of, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to say anything. No, I love the way that, that you express whole... that. You, you express it way better than I can. But basically, that was a big revelation for me that really helped kind of relieve some of that guilt. I went, wow. So if this concept of reincarnation and rebirth used to be in the Bible and it was taken out for what, you know, like you said, for whatever reason to control people or to, you know, help with the allegiance to the church. Um, you know, it kind of just, everything that I uncovered, it was like, it was like peeling the layers of an onion. Right. And it would just like relieve my guilt a bit. So I could go a little bit deeper with it, you know, and kind of start to accept it and kind of be okay with, with my son talking about it. And his dad was really uncomfortable with it. Like from the very beginning, he's like, just don't talk about it. And he'll stop talking about it. (laughs) But when kids, if they want to talk about it, you know, like they want to get it out, they want to express it. So I just kept listening and then more and more things started coming out. Yeah. And that was actually where I wanted to, I'm so bad at like stacking questions and and going down too many rabbit holes, but what I originally, you just made me think of it again. When you talked to Carol Bowman, she gave you some, some um, tips um, for how to talk to a child who is expressing potentially past life memories. And I think for anybody out there listening, maybe it would be helpful. Do you mind sharing some of what she shared with you? So if someone has a child in their life who is beginning to express these things, they know how to handle it. Sure, sure. So um, one of the really important things she, she told me in the beginning that I'll always remember was, you know, don't ask leading questions. Like you're not looking for an answer, like ask very open questions. And then when they respond, don't, don't be startled. So like, for example, when Christian said, oh, I used to stay in hotels almost every night when I was a tall baseball player. And drink you know, alcohol, and I, didn't he say? drink alcohol, yeah. So you just kind of like, you know, you, you don't react. Because if they can see you react and see you get uncomfortable, kids are so smart. They pick up on that. So when he asked me that, you'd rather than say, oh, you stayed in hotels. I said, oh, did you fly on airplanes? You know, like just make it conversational. And that's when yeah. he said, no, mostly trains. You know, and this was at a time when he didn't play with trains, had never been on a train. Like, I don't know where he even came up with that, you know. 
And, um, and the other thing she had me do was show him pictures from the era. So he had given me enough clues. Um, when we were in Boston, he got really upset by a big picture of Babe Ruth. And he said, I don't like him. He was mean to me, but like very upset. Like we had to leave the stadium. He was so upset and so worked up by yeah. this picture. Um, and he gave me the clues about traveling on trains. So what Carol said was take some photographs from Babe Ruth's era and show it to Christian and just see if he can recognize people or identify any names. And he was sure enough he was able to do that. Um, you know, and, and he he pretty much, he basically just pointed to a picture of Lou Gehrig and said, that's me, um, which was the most startling, you know, like he would tell me these things late yeah. at night and then I would get up and go on my computer and go, who is that even, you know, who's this guy with the dimples and, and um, so it just kind of came in bits and pieces, almost like a mystery that I was solving. Um, and then Carol had me show him photographs of Lou Gehrig's parents, and he was actually able to identify their names out of a list of names. So that was really kind of shocking, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing when you have a child, and I'm thinking of some of um, um, the the past life memories of, of some of the more well-known children's cases that have come through the University of Virginia uh, Medical School, um, their Division of Perceptual Studies, which of course founded by Dr. Ian Stevenson back in the 1960s, and then currently um, run by Dr. Jim Tucker. Um, and so of course this, this, this um, division of the University of Virginia Medical Center, they are researching children's past life memories and they have a huge body of work. And I think there are some pretty famous cases, but the thing I have to say Hey, Kathy, with yours, it's one thing if you have a child that remembers a past life and we can verify the details. It's another when that past life is one of someone who is so well known as Lou Gehrig. I mean, and did that just, when you put that on top of everything else, was your mind just blown at that point? Right. And then you also add to it the disease, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS too. So that was like discomforting too and I it's funny because on interviews and on things I still have people ask me like are you afraid that Christian could have the same fate as Lou Gehrig you know like that that would carry over um so that was also it was like oh you picked this person you know and I didn't know anything about Lou Gehrig at the time like I didn't know about his legacy and and what an amazing human being he was in addition to being famous for that disease um yeah. so really kind of what inspired me to tell our story and to, and to actually write my book was really just this whole life of Lou Gehrig that was unveiled to us through my son. And later I learned so much about Lou Gehrig's mother too, that really I was so inspired, not only to share the story to like show people that our souls survived death. That was one of the big messages was like, wow, this came to me. And now I truly believe that our souls survived death. And I felt like that was a message that can give people hope and faith you know, that our life continues beyond this lifetime. But also, I really wanted to share the story of Lou Gehrig and his mother, um, which was really like a fascinating story that came through. Um, and just, you know, like a little bit of historical details that I felt needed to be corrected. So that's kind of another part of the book, too, is that whole story of that mother-son relationship. The, there are so many layers to this story. And I will just um, say here, one of the things when I picked up the book initially, I saw that not only did Jack Canfield write the foreword, but Dr. Eben Alexander, who has been a guest on Sunny in Seattle, I think three times now, I adore his work, um, that oh, he wrote yeah. the introduction. And to have such heavy hitters really not only validating or supporting the work, but also being so drawn into it. 
says so much about the yeah. story. And that was one of the things I will just, let's see, I'm going to read here. This is from the introduction that Dr. Eben Alexander wrote. And just a quick refresher for those out there, if you've heard him on the show before, he was a neurosurgeon who had a very rare case of bacterial meningitis that basically took the part of his brain associated primarily like in, you know, materialistic science took it offline completely. So he had this experience of having been this, you know, neurosurgeon who didn't believe in non-local consciousness has the near death experience comes back and writes to tell like basically consciousness is not produced by the brain. There is something so much greater and far beyond anything we have believed in materialistic science. So he's a perfect person to be speaking about this. And one of the things he said, in the introduction about your story, Kathy, um, uh, he says, a significant gift of this book beyond the powerful demonstration of the reality of past life memories in children is its support for the notion that reincarnation is about evolution of the soul group rather than just individual souls. We tend to reincarnate with other members of our soul group seemingly to continue our ongoing soul lessons. And um, I don't want to give away too much about the story, but you and Christian, your son in this lifetime, um, had that same connection in the past lifetime. Um, and I feel like, I, I guess my question here, not only is around um, what have you come to learn about soul groups that travel together, but, but also, you know, this is as much about Christian and his story as it is about you and your own discovery of past life memories. I mean, what? <laughs> that's well, a very, pretty I, big I couple of questions. Like, I don't know where you want to go I with know, that, Kathy. It goes deep, <laughs> and there's a big explanation that we know because you've read the book. But um, yeah, really, I feel like that. Okay, so I was a big skeptic of reincarnation, and even as Christian was telling me these things, I was still like, I would hear it, and then I would just look for further confirmation. So I was really like digging and digging and digging to try to disprove it really as much as prove it. And as I dug and dug and dug, what happened is it just got more confirmed for me. And, um, and as you mentioned, like this life of Lou Gehrig's mother came through, um, Christian, when he saw pictures of Lou Gehrig's mother said, you were her. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, I was her. And this yeah. is just him trying to figure this all out. Um, but as time went on, um, you know, Dr. Tucker did come to our house when Christian was five and interviewed him like he does with these kids. Um, and while Dr. Tucker was here, Christian said the wildest thing. He said, I chose her to be my mom. Um, and then Dr. Tucker said, well, where were you when you chose her? And he said, in the sky. And he and then he asked, where, where was she? And he said she was being born. So basically he was mm -hmm. telling me this elaborate story that when I was being born in 1967, he was in the sky choosing me to be his mother at that point, right? Yeah. So it's all so far-fetched. When Dr. Tucker left our house that day, he told me that many of these children who recall past lives of their 2,500 ca cases that they've documented since the 60s, many of these children have very specific memories of um, choosing their parents before coming to this lifetime. Um, so yeah. that is when I was like, wow, well, maybe there's something to this thing with Christian. And right after that is when I went and did a past life regression, which was really out of my wheelhouse, like especially coming from a place of like feeling guilt around reincarnation. I really felt guilt around doing a past life regression because to me, that was like going to a psychic, you know, like you're going into hypnosis, kind of this trance state. 
Um, but what happened is just more and more information came through. And, you know, to this day, like it could be channeling, it could be past life, but it's all of this consciousness, kind of what you were talking about with Evan Alexander's experience. It's, it's this higher realm, this consciousness that's beyond our physical ability to digest information when we're in a body. <laughs> right. I guess that's a way to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing I'll tell you about um, these kids, like a lot of these kids come through um, they either, many of them are male, which is, I don't know, for whatever reason. And many of them are kids whose life ended prematurely in the early lifetimes. They were either sick, like Lou Gehrig, and kind of robbed of their second half of life, or um, died in an accident. Like we have James Leininger, who was an Air Force pilot, a fighter pilot in World War II, um, who Christian has had the pleasure of meeting. He's now like what? 19 and just finished his military training. Um, but he had real specific memories. Yeah, but he, you know, had terrible nightmares as a baby, even screaming like little man going down and crying like the most gut wrenching, you know, thing you could ever have with a child just being tormented every night with nightmares of crashing in a plane. You know, and yeah. he had that same knowledge like Christian had of baseball. He was able to look at the instruments of a plane and know how to fly a plane. And even his sister from that lifetime said, this has to be my brother. This little boy knows things about my family that he could never know, you know. And yeah. then look how now James is in. He just went to basic training. He's you know, graduating with honors. He's, you know, 2020 was a big year for him because he finally, like, stepped into his kind of dream that he always yeah. had. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, that also, I'm, I'm, I have more, God, there's so many questions. Um, so <laughs> when Dr. Tucker um, included you in his research, flew, I think the way that I remember it from the book was that basically he heard your story and was on a plane within like 24 hours to come meet Christian. He was, this was a very intriguing case for him. Um, what else did you learn um, about some these, the, the, what happens with these kids? Like you said that, that these memories usually surface when they're very, very young, but they start to dwindle by the time they're um, six or eight years old. Like, was there anything else that you learned that would be helpful for other people out there um, who might have yeah. kids in this same boat? So, yeah, it's really interesting. Memory is such a fascinating thing, especially when you look at like Alzheimer's and how we, I mean, the way it was described to me is, is, um, you know, the reason that we don't come into this life generally with these memories of a past life is because it's hard to live your life as this person that you are now if you're, you know, recalling this past life in medieval England or something. So it really is right. a blessing that we do come in, you know, fresh, <laughs> right? So yeah. I think that is the the reason. So these kids, there's this window of time, you know, between ages like two and school age, like around six or seven, where this information does come through. And it's kind of that same age where like kids might have invisible friends or see angels or see relatives who've passed away. Um, you know, it's like that little window um, of time where that stuff comes through. But over time, you know, they they forget. And it's here's an example too. Christian threw a first pitch at Dodger Stadium, which is on the cover of my book when he was just turning four years old, he has zero recollection of being at Dodger Stadium. Like he remembers other stuff from before that. He remembers being at the movie in Boston and he's seen pictures of all of it and videos of all of it, but he has no actual recollection of being at Dodger Stadium. So it's amazing how memory is such a thing, you know, but he, you know, he'd be like, I don't remember that. So now that's what happens with these other memories. He remembers that he said it, but like he doesn't have that firsthand memory which now that he's 12, almost 13 years old, 
it's really confusing, you know, because it's like poor yeah. kid has to go out and do interviews. We had to do the Dr. Oz show recently. And I said, just be true to yourself. Like, be true to what you actually remember. You don't have to go out there and say, I was Lou Gehrig. I remember being on the mountain, you know, because now it's not a vivid recall for him. It's like a distant memory of his early childhood. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yeah. yeah. But, but even with James, like, it's been really interesting for Christian to get to know James because James has been pretty tormented with his memories, and he was bullied a lot as a, as a kid in school for it. Um, and his has kind of come and gone. Like, his memories left him, but then, like, he, it resurges and comes back. So it's been really interesting because James is, like, a step ahead of Christian. Um, it's interesting to see how it's, like, you know, come and gone in his in his life. But now James is very much involved in living this lifetime, right? Like he's out there doing what he's doing and kind of letting go of that past thing. Yes. And James, I think uh, Kathy's referring to, she mentioned it earlier, but James Leninger or Leninger. How, how do you say the last name again, Kathy? Leininger. 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 Yes. And I think this is one of the most famous cases of, of uh, children's past life memories. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, you know, at age two or three, he was able to correctly identify the the name of the uh, aircraft carrier that was stationed out in the sea, the name of his plane, the type of plane he could identify from photographs, his um, three or four particular friends from his, um, whatever, the members of his group. Um, anyway, and so if you want to find out more about that story, gosh, it's been chronicled in a number of books, but I think um, doesn't Dr. Jim Tucker, he, I, I approached him about <laughs> being on the show some time ago, but he has a book that talks about some of the most famous cases that he studied. Is that right, Kathy? Yes, he does. Yeah, he does. He hasn't written a book in a little while, but I want to say his book came out like 2016, the most recent book that he wrote. Yeah, yeah. So I, anyway, I find this stuff fascinating. And, and so if anyone else out there is as uh, fascinated by it as I am, that is a good place to start for some of these stories. And I know Leslie Keene, who has been on the show before, um, she's an investigative journalist, and she featured um, James's story in her book. Um, she did investigative journalism on the concept of surviving death. And one of the things she looked at was wow. kids' past life memories and the research of, you know, the, the division of perceptual studies that you VA. Um, so anyway, um, what, so was, what else was I yeah, going to ask you? Kind of oh, sorry, go ahead. Like it, is, it is interesting how like, you know, the near-death experiences, you know, it, there is a crossover. Like that's what I really realized when I was getting into this. And that's why people like Jack Canfield or Evan Alexander like gravitate to this story because it just provides more confirmation of what we kind of already know deep down in our souls, right? As yeah. we put all of these stories together what the message is and, and what the meaning of it is, right? Yeah, that was one of the things you had said it, your words earlier, that was so funny. I just wrote a question this morning to ask you because I was just, you know, reading back over my outline before we spoke. And, um, and I wanted to just ask you because, well, just to preface this with, one of the things that I loved about Eben Alexander's story is that he was very uniquely situated to write about near-death experiences, given that he was a neurosurgeon and, and a formerly very materialistic scientist. And I feel like with your story with Christian, you were kind of similarly uniquely positioned in your own way, um, given, 
uh, the work that you did before you became a realtor, you know, with the sports marketing um, and, and just given your background, perhaps with your faith, that being a big jump for you to do some research on reincarnation and change your beliefs around that. You, do you kind of feel like in addition to some of the other purposes you talk about in the book, that that's one of them, that, that you are playing a role in helping basically the evolution of consciousness, you know, people beginning to really expand their horizons and see the greater picture of what's out there. Right. You know, what's interesting. That is kind of a higher calling that leads you to do this because the easy thing is just to keep these stories to yourself because you benefit yeah. personally from it. You know, it helps your spiritual beliefs, but the hard part is stepping out. And even for Evan Alexander, like he got a lot of heat for it too, um, even within the medical community. And then with my situation and, and other parents, it's, it's even harder because you've got your kids, you know, like we still play baseball, like we are going to New York next week and there will be kids from all over the country that are going to say, oh, Lou Gehrig's up to bat. You know, Christian mm. deals with that all the time and he's really good about not reacting to it. Um, it, it you know, and these are mostly people that haven't read the book, that don't know the purpose of it, that just think, oh, this lady thinks her son is Lou Gehrig. You know, which is normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't fault people for that because I'd probably be the same. Like, who is this crazy person that thinks her son is reincarnated? You know, like, is this just a scheme? So I get that. But what I've really had to tell both of my children, because my daughter also gets impacted by it, is that, okay, we've got to be stronger than that. Like, we will have protection in life, you know, from these bullies that come around and don't take it seriously because we know that our purpose in this is much bigger. Like we're telling the story for a reason. And those people that we reach, that we inspire, though that's why we're doing it. And none of this other stuff can really touch us, you know? And so it's, it's hard and it's hard for kids when they're on a basketball court or at school getting bullied a bit, you know, it's hard and it's hard not to become like hardened or bitter or fight back. But it's been, it's been like a real part of our journey, which hopefully will just make us all stronger. And, um, and yeah, I admit like every once in a while, I want to go into a hole and just keep our story to ourselves because it is hard. And, um, like Christian had a, a video, we did an interview with inside edition that went completely viral. And this thing haunts him to this day because it got like 20 million views on YouTube, 2020, it popped up on TikTok and got like another 20 million views on TikTok. And he just, it's like, he can't escape it. It keeps coming back and coming back. So, um, you know, that's where you really have to focus on that higher purpose of like, why are we telling the story? And a lot of parents are afraid and have now backed down off sharing because when we did the Dr. Oz show, um, we tried to get, you know, they were trying to have other kids come on with us. And a lot of the parents are like, we just can't do it anymore. Like, it's just, it's affecting our kid in such a negative way. And so they have to kind of, you know, even people who've spoken out before and done interviews, like they're done. They're not doing it anymore. Oh, that's so disappointing. And, and uh, which, it, it, what was, you wrote in the book, you know, that you knew that from writing this book, you could potentially hurt people you care about. Um, and what was the tipping point for you where you thought, yeah, we're going to get some pushback and yeah, it could create some issues, but we've got to tell the story. How did you make that decision ultimately? You know, it was hard. And then, then even when you do it, when you publish the book, like you still have, I mean, I even have my mom going, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And, and then there was the whole movie thing. And I have to say, I did chicken out on the movie. Like we were like two weeks away from shooting the movie. 
Um, and the script wasn't great. It wasn't kind of the spiritual masterpiece I had anticipated, but I, you know, at that point you've already gotten so deep into it. They already have the production crew in Atlanta ready to go. Um, and they couldn't find an actress. The actress they wanted wasn't available until the spring. It was Bryce Dallas Howard was who they really wanted. Um, and so in that moment, when they pulled the plug on production, I was, I completely got cold feet. I was like, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. And I went to the studio and I got my rights back. So now I've just kind of been sitting on it because, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, it's, it's hard when it's around a child, you're kind of like, let's do this at the right time, at the right moment, in the right way. You know, cause I do want to share the story, but I also don't want to share the story if it's not going to be done like in the way it's supposed to and have the spiritual message that it's supposed to have. Yes. And I'm so glad that I wanted to ask about the movie because it was, I, I, you know, just from doing internet searches, I thought it looks like there's a movie being made, but I'm not quite sure. And so that's really interesting that that's how it is. At least this is the, I don't feel like the story is finished yet on that. It doesn't sound like, but that's where it is right now, huh? Right, right. And it's just, you know, and it was, it's just kind of settling. We're just living our lives, you know, and it's, if it's meant to be, it'll come out in that way in the right time too, I believe. Yes. And and speaking of those things, the way those things come together, um, as we've talked about, Jack Canfield uh, wrote the foreword, Dr. Eben Alexander wrote the introduction, but originally it was supposed to be Wayne Dyer writing the foreword. Um, and what happened there? Because that's a really interesting story as well. And one of those things where it's just like, you know, when things are meant to happen, they're, the pieces will come together as they're supposed to. So tell us about that, Wayne Dyer, yeah. going to Jack Canfield. Yes, I love that I love that you brought up Wayne. It's funny. Wayne's been on my mind this whole time, and I've been wanting to find a way to squeeze him in, and you did it perfectly. Oh, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so when I, I, um, I went to a writer's workshop with Hay House, which is my publisher, in 2015. It was like in June of 2015. And um, I was able to meet Wayne Dyer. Christian was with me. He got to meet him as well. Um, and Wayne was actually the one who was really, um, integral to getting the book published. Um, and what was really amazing is when I met Wayne, he was working on his, what would be his final book, which was called, um, Memories of Heaven. And ironically, it was a story. It was a book, um, many chapters about children living kind of in this consciousness. So like one chapter was on children's past lives. One was on invisible friends. One was on speaking to angels and grandparents and things like that. So it was really ironic that that was the exact moment that I met Wayne. Um, And so he's the one that kind of pushed the deal through. And then he passed away in August of that year, like three months after I had met him. Um, So I really feel like Wayne has, has orchestrated a lot of the things that happened after that, like bringing Jack Canfield into the picture and kind of like guiding and ushering the book. Um, But, you know, and I still, it's like, I feel like he's another one whose life was, cut a little bit prematurely, but, um, you know, I, I think about that all the time that I feel like I do have a duty to Wayne too, to continue to share this message. Absolutely. And I think so many people know Wayne Dyer for his teachings and his books, but I have found, I think one of his greatest purposes, or at least the one that I have enjoyed the most is, is his, because of his platform, when he found the stories that were really needed to be shared, like yours, or for example, Anita Morjani, another one of my favorites, he brought her story to light. And I think, ah, these are the stories we need to hear. Thank you, Wayne, for bringing all of this forward with your platform for all of us to share. 
it's remarkable and I can't even think of another person who's done that in the way Wayne has like he he's just he's it's such a missing thing I mean luckily his body of work still exists and we can still go back and dive into it but really I can't think of anyone who compares to him in that arena yeah I agree I agree um, well, I want to return to something that you had mentioned, you touched on earlier, and I want to dive a little bit deeper with it. Um, and that was once this, once the, you were really, um, learning a lot about this past life that Christian had lived. Um, you had of course visited with Dr. Tucker, um, and he'd come out to do the, you know, the, however he does the research around verifying the kids' stories and interacting with them and all that. And then you decided to do a past life regression yourself because it was becoming clear that you and Christian had a connection in that lifetime, um, that, that when he was Luke Eric, um, and, um, I guess one of the first things that I would ask you is you, you ended up doing, I believe three regressions total, at least that you write about in the story. Yeah, is that correct. correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, this was something that I had heard about before and you mentioned it in the book. Um, usually when one is doing past life regressions, um, that you don't really end up dipping back into the same lifetime. You kind of get that closure from the regression. And then you, if you do other past life regressions, you might encounter other lifetimes or between lives situations. You dipped back into the lifetime with Christian or as Lou three different times. Why do you think right. that was? Right. And it was amazing. I mean, even Jerome DeWitt, who did these regressions with me, um, he is just the sweetest, most wonderful human being, and he's doing amazing work um, to carry on the Dolores Cannon QHHT, is it QHHT, I think, um, quantitative hypnosis. Um, he, he's doing amazing work in that, and he was shocked as well as me when I kept going back all three times to that lifetime. And what was really amazing was it was no repeats. Like the first regression was kind of the beginning of Lou Gehrig's lifetime combined with the end of his mother's lifetime. And then the second time I went in um, was completely different period of time. And then the last time was, was, was a totally different time too. But what happened is through these regressions, that is when I finally went, okay, there's no disputing this anymore because the, the details that came through, like, you know, it was, there was jewelry that had been left to a little girl who I saw this little girl. She had short brown hair. I described her. She was 10 years old. She had a seven-year-old little brother. I was living with the family. I could smell bread cooking in the oven. You know, like just he would ask me questions and I would give him all these sensory answers. Um, and then I um, went and did a lot of research at the in uh, Cooperstown, which is where we're going next week at the Hall of Fame Museum. Um, and was able to find like personal, private family documents that have never been published that confirmed many of these things from my regressions. And I was able to actually meet the person um, that I had seen, this little seven-year-old boy who was now a 73-year-old pastor um, and who confirmed that his family did get the jewelry that I saw. So for me, that was where it was like, okay, now you just need to accept that, you know, that this is a sacred story, that this information that's coming through is real. Um, you know, because I think my mind as a skeptic, like you never rest. You're always like, hmm, maybe that's not real or maybe this yeah. is this or, you know, so I think for me, just meeting those people and the depth of that relationship, like we're still real close. And his sister just passed away last year of cancer. 
um, oh. last fall, about a year ago. I know, it's so sad. Um, and her name was Jill, and she was a realtor, so we talked about real estate a bit. Um, but it's just, life's amazing, you know, like, to have these relationships. And, and I've, I've been with him in New Hampshire in the home that he bought with a watch that Lou Gehrig's mother gave to him. So, like, it's just so special. And and even him being a pastor who doesn't believe in reincarnation, like, you know, it's funny. He would still look at me as if I was this old lady, <laughs> you know, like this Ma, Ma Gehrig who was like a grandmother to him. So it, it's just, it's profound. Yes, really. and that was one of my favorite. Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, go for it. Oh, no. I, that was one of my favorite parts of the story because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's this whole, the, the story with Christian um, and and the his own baseball past life memories. That's a story in and of itself. But I just loved in the later portions of the book where it's really your exploration of a past life that you had, of course, that you shared with Christian at that time. But it's it just it was so beautiful. And then when you reached out to these um, this wonderful family. And I remember in the book, you'd said you were initially hesitant to reach out to him because he was a pastor and you'd kind of gotten burned a couple of times trying to share the story with people yeah. who didn't believe in reincarnation. <laughs> and then here's Ken, this beautiful pastor, Ken, who just, maybe he didn't believe, but his response was so beautiful to you. Well, it's obviously a sacred story and it's coming from somewhere. I, I, how did he put it? Or how did he kind of make your fear go away about sharing it? words I love his words that he used too but it it really gave me peace it was like I don't believe in reincarnation but this is information that's coming through basically from God like like in the light through God like don't question it you know yeah 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 so that uh, that just that was a whole nother layer to this story of course it's all in the book um in the book we've been talking about today is the boy who knew too much um and um, so Kathy, you know, a few other questions about this, the past life regression that you did, because, um, it sounds like that was a really, one of the more impactful, um, pieces of the story that you share with Christian. Um, and you, you learned, well, there was a couple things here. Um, during the regression, I'm going to read, this is actually from the regression, part of the transcript. Um, and this is you, um, basically getting to talk to um, uh, Christian in the past life. I know this may not be making a lot of sense if I'm not explaining this well, but I'm just going to read this quote. <laughs> um, and, okay, so the past life regression had asked you, what else do you want to ask him? And you ask, will I see you again? And he says, I will find you. So basically, like Christian in the past life said, I will come find you again. And, and it sounds like you all found each other or he found you in this I lifetime. Um, I, can you speak to that a little bit? And that was such a special moment. I'm glad you brought that up because that was when I was under hypnosis and, um, and yeah, I was in heaven. I had left my body on describing, you know, this, what this feels like and seeing my husband in heaven and then seeing Lou Gehrig, like you said, um, and, and that I will find you when the words came out of my mouth, because when you're under this regression, you're still skeptical, believe it or not. Like you're still talking, but you're not really believing what you're saying because your conscious mind and your is, is still involved a bit. Um, but what, ha what really struck me yeah. is that when those words came out of my mouth, I started crying and I'm not a big crier. Like I don't cry easily, but there was so much emotion wrapped up in it. And it was such a kind of revelation. And then, I'll never forget, Jerome said to me, he said, 
I see that you're emotional and what are you feeling? And, and I kind of like came out of it as not came out of hypnosis, but I said, you know, he, he did find me and he's Christian. But even as you're saying it, you're not believing it. And then once you get out of the regression and you go back to your normal life, you're like, that was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But, um, but yeah, that was like a really defining moment. I mean, there, there was a lot of depth to that. And that was in the first yeah. regression. So that's kind of what kept me going back, looking for more answers to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as there were, there were a couple of points in the book where you really make these beautiful statements about realizing, you know, what the purpose of our life is, because all these details, they're, they're really like, they're fascinating. The story is fun. I mean, there are points that weren't so fun, um, but it, it's just, it really draws you in, but then you have these, these takeaways, these like overview takeaways and a couple of the ones that, um, that you share in the book, um, uh, primary purpose of life on earth is to learn how to love and honor one another in good times and bad. Um, that, um, that, that let's see. And one of the other ones was, um, the purpose of this lifetime with Christian was completion to relive the good times. Um, and so what have you, what are your takeaways, Kathy, from where you sit now, what you have learned like what Christian story and your shared past lifetime with them, what are your big takeaways? Like what life is all about? Yeah. You know, it's funny what just popped in my head, which is like the antithesis of what our book's about is you only live once. So (laughs) it's funny because when people tell me that, when people say that to me, they always think they're going to offend me, but it's so true because really um, that completion or reliving the good times, like that was something that came through in one of my regressions and Jerome asked, what was the purpose of you and Christian coming together in this lifetime? And that is where I said completion and to relive the good times. And basically what I realized in that is like life is so profound and so simple. Like if we're in a spirit realm and not in a body, like, you know, floating around in heaven, we, we long for these physical sensations, like being in the ocean or holding the hand of a loved one or, eating an ice cream cone or going to a baseball game, like really the life, you know, that was kind of my question myself, could life really be this simple? Like, really, are we just here to like live this physicality? I mean, also the growth and the loving and honoring one another. But I'd say that was one of the big things that came through. It's like, and yeah, you only live this lifetime once. So you better make the best of it. And you better really enjoy and savor these moments that seem so simple, like, sitting at a baseball game, you know, like we're going to the Dodger game tomorrow night and there's not a moment that I don't sit there and just go, wow, this is what life's about. Like just enjoying these moments. Yes. And that was for me, when I first started learning about, I got on my spiritual path and kind of left the, I wouldn't say, well, um, I'll just say that when I learned about reincarnation and it started that just, it hit truth for me. And I realized, okay, okay, there's a reason these things were taken out of the faith of my youth, the, you know, mention of reincarnation. I now fully believe in reincarnation and it has changed my outlook on life so much um, for a variety of reasons. I think it just, it changed my perspective and I approach this life that I'm living right now so much differently than if I believed in the past, like I did, that it was my only lifetime. Um, And so one of the things that I have taken away, and I'm curious for you too, um, is that I think 
there's, there can be a great amount of suffering um, in, in a human lifetime when we look around and we make things so hard and we think things are so hard, but in reality, like there's such, there's just, there's a bigger, wonderful, magical picture of what's going on. And it, it really can be, like you say, as simple as just enjoying the times with each other, enjoying an ice cream, going to a baseball game. And I just wonder, you know, has it, has it made it that way for you where you can kind of see where you can just enjoy life. It can be that simple, you know? Yeah, that simple. And that's also when we can start to take our trauma and convert it into growth rather than just getting stuck there. Um, You know what I mean? Like if we can kind of look at life from above and get the big picture and go, okay, this is a moment in time. We're here on this planet. Yes, there's going to be suffering, but if we can like pull ourselves up a bit and go, okay, what are the lessons? What are the soul lessons? It's, it's so helpful, right? Instead of getting just stuck into our, our suffering, right? Yes, that's exactly, you said it exactly. I, I, <laughs> I made it far too complicated, but you just nailed it. Um, that's that. exactly I it. I think I um, when I look at it, I try to in the moment these days, if there's something that is causing suffering or that is difficult, I think, okay, what could my soul be trying to learn right now that I'm going to take away in my life review at the end of this lifetime and go, I couldn't have learned it any other way. It was in service right. of something so much greater and life continues beyond this. And it can be, it, it doesn't have to be as hard as I'm making it out to be. Correct. I yeah. agree with that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So I know we've got just a few minutes left. And um, so you mentioned earlier, I'm, I've been curious this whole time, you know, where is Christian now? Like what is, is his, is his fascination with baseball as intense or what you, you mentioned James Leininger going to, he's now entering the military at age 18. So you said Christian is 12 or 13. Tell us about him now. Yeah, so our life very much, it was funny when you were reading the intro um, about where you can find Kathy in her spare time is at a youth baseball field is still very much true four years later. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We just came back from a tournament in San Diego, and now we're getting ready to go to New York. Um, Yeah, so we're on this whole travel baseball circuit, and, you know, he's, he's in seventh grade now, getting prepared for high school, but still just as passionate. It's definitely a passion for him. He's getting to play with like a lot of the top kids in the country. And, um, and yeah, he's having to work hard, you know, like before it was just a gift that he was blessed with, but now these other kids are working hard and he's a pitcher and he's a lefty like Lou Gehrig. He plays um, outfield first base and pitches, which is kind of the, the role of a lefty on a baseball team. Um, so it'll be fun. And, and the journey, like we try not to take it too seriously. Like, of course, he'd love to continue to play in high school and college and even beyond. But, you know, we temper that with like, just enjoy the moment and, and do it while we can. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Cause I think one of the other things that I um, learned in reading about Jim, Dr. Jim Tucker's work is that a lot of times the kid's fascination with whatever it is will go away after about around the same age that the memories start to dwindle. But it seems like Christian has maintained his love of baseball, maybe not as obsessive as when he wanted to do it eight hours a day all the time, or maybe, I don't know, but he still has maintained that love of baseball. He has. He has a new passion for skateboarding, which doesn't really go well with with baseball, but okay. It frustrates his coaches because he did break his ankle last year, but, um, oh, yeah, no. definitely a thrill. Uh-huh. 
Oh, well, that's wonderful. Well, I know we're coming right to the end of our hour, Kathy, but I thank you so much for coming and sharing Christian's story and your story here with us. I just can't get enough of these wonderful, intriguing, magical stories that I think um, I, I love that more people are sharing them. So thank you for coming on Sunny in Seattle to talk today. Oh, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I could talk to you for another hour because I feel like I'm learning a lot. Oh, well, you and me both, man. Maybe we'll have to continue the story at another uh, another episode further down the road. Um, so I have been joined today by Kathy Bird, um, and the book that we've been discussing is The Boy Who Knew Too Much, and the website to find out more about the story and the book and all those good things is kathybird-bird.com. That is kathy-bird.com. Bird is spelled B-Y-R-D. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Sunny in Seattle today. This is Sunny Joy signing off. See you next week.